opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about protecting emails and the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. And we have with us again a wonderful expert who's been on our show before, Peter J. Torin, who's an intellectual property litigator and a partner with Weisbrod Matthes and Coop. Copley in Washington, D.C., and he helps individuals and companies protect their intellectual property rights, and he recently was named to the National Law Journal's Top 50 Intellectual Property Trailblazers and Pioneers. He's recognized as a leading expert in IP and um, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act and the Economic Espionage Act, as well as other cr- federal criminal laws. And he is the author of Intellectual Property and Computer Pro- Crime, which is uh, published by the Law Journal Press. He specializes in patent, trademark, copyright, and trade secret cases, and he's tried dozens of cases in his career. And uh, you can find out more about him at Peter Torin. That's P E T E R T O R E N dot com. Thank you, Peter, for joining us from D.C. Oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Well, you know, I had just, I always enjoy reading the articles that you write. You wrote another article in our Daily Journal, which is the legal newspaper for the state of California, called A More Draconian Computer Fraud Act. So let's talk about the. the the Computer Fraud Act. Let's talk about um, protecting emails and other electronic communications. What kind of laws do we have that do protect that? We hear all about it now, about the NSA collecting our emails. We hear about, you know, all sorts of emails being <laughs> disclosed with, um, you know, secretaries of state, etc. So what kind of protection do we have? Well, I mean, the short the short answer probably is is we don't have enough protection of emails and other forms of electronic protection. Um, believe it or not, the main privacy law that protects emails dates back to 1986. Um, it's the Stored Communications Act 
that was passed in 1986 by Congress as part of the Electronic Communications and Pri- Privacy Act. And it's hard to believe that in the the, SE, the SCA, or the Stored Communications Act, um, as I said, the major privacy act, it's been amended a number of times since 1986, but really not in any major way, and certainly not in a way that would address some of the concerns that have come up um, in, in recent, recent years, and I can discuss those um, later. But just for background, to think about you know what what was going on 28 years ago, um, in, in that there's been nothing in this area since then. There was no World Wide Web. There really was no internet at that time. Ronald Reagan was in his second term of. As, as a president of the United States, uh, President Obama was in his second year of, of law school. <laughs> I mean, there are kids who are graduating from law school this this year, probably who were never even born in, in were not born in, in 1986. And that's the kind of uh, you know that's really the foremost privacy act. Federal Privacy Act in the United States protecting electronic communications. So to say it's outdated um, <laughs> is, is really a, a, an, an understatement. So why at that time did the Congress enact the Stored Communications Act? That was part well, of the Electronic it, Communications Privacy Act, right? At that time, or no? <clears throat> yeah, the, the Congress realized back back then that there were beginning to be electronic communications um, that were not protected either by the Fourth Amendment um, nor by the existing Wiretap Act. And first of all, with regard to the Fourth Amendment, Congress realized there was a question that if, let's say, an electronic communication that did exist uh, was stored by a a third party, it's pretty basic Fourth Amendment law that where you give up you give up control over your prop property that you no longer have a fourth amendment protection of pri- privacy um, in in that in that particular um, good so the congress realized it wasn't protected by the fourth amendment congress also realized that there had been the wiretap act um, that was originally passed by congress in 1968 but the wiretap act only covered um, real-time communications, um, telephones, um, and other type of wire, wire communication. So again, it really did not fit very well with the beginning of stored elect- electronic communication. So Congress really re- felt that there was a hole in it, um, and was in, in that sense they were on on top of things to realize that there was a need for it. Um, but the needs have changed, as I said, in a, in the past uh, twenty eight years. Exactly, and especially in the last 10, right, or the last five. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the major provisions of the Stored Communications Act. Okay, they're, they're really, from, from our point of view, they're, they're two um, general provisions. First of all, um, it limits the government's right to compel Internet service providers to s- disclose information in their possession about their customers or subscribers. And in that, it confers greater protection than the Fourth Amendment. So it sets off, and we can talk a little bit about the details, but it, it basically um, makes the government have to go through certain processes to obtain emails that may be stored on your Google account or 
know, your Microsoft account or, or whatever or, or any other public email facility that the emails that are stored there, the government, depending on how long they've been stored and other considerations, the government has to obtain um, either a search warrant or things like that. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how those break down and what kind of protections there are. And the second major thing that it does, it's, it limits the right um, of an Internet service provider to disclose information about customers and subscribers voluntarily. And finally, and we, we probably won't reach that today, but it also does um, set up criminal penalties for gaining access to electronic communications, stored communications, um, in a way that's not authorized by statute. And there are some um, fairly severe criminal penalties associated with violating the criminal aspect of, of the statute. Okay. So let's go back to that first one about limiting um, the government's ability to obtain um, stored information, electronic information in Google or Microsoft. H- how does that reconcile with what we've learned from Edward Snowden? Um, I, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult question to, to answer. It really, it really doesn't, doesn't rec- 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 uh, reconcile it very, very, very well. Um, you know that that part of part of the problem with the Stored Communications Act is at the time it was was written back in 1986, um, storage space, computer storage was very very expensive, and so it, it it took from a basic standpoint that communications were not going to be stored on um, stored on a server stored by the ISP for a very long time because it was simply too expensive storage the store computer storage was simply too expensive to store these gigabytes these terabytes these you know the incredible amount of, of information and as getting back to your question as the Snowden um, revelations have disclosed is certainly that storage is not in any way a constraint on the ability for the government for Microsoft for Google to store your emails to gather electronic commu- communications. So it, it, it goes from. I mean, the, the SCA was written based on a technology, based on an understanding of a technology that really doesn't exist anymore more today. So from that standpoint, you know, that's just a, a good example of how outmoded it, it actually is. Right. So everything's on the cloud now. I mean, you can store. I don't even terabytes or whatever. <laughs> I don't even know what the word is because you can store so much. I mean, it's crazy. But then, um, so so NSA and other government agencies didn't need search warrants or d- didn't need search warrants to do what they were doing? Or what, what exactly is, how is it that the government is able to to get all the, you know, all the emails that they've been getting? I, I well, I mean, the the the, que- the question there really is because of the definitions of the Stored Communications Act, and um, un- uh, unfortunately, that the Stored Communications Act is one of the most difficult to read feder- federal statutes that prob- probably exists. I've been I've been working in this area when I was a federal prosecutor with the, in the computer crime section back in the 1990s, and we were working to to we 
were doing work in this particular area back in the in the 1990s. So I've been familiar with the Stored Communications Act and ECBUS for the last, you know, almost the entire history of, of the act. And I still find it incredibly complicated and dense to, to un- under, understand. And it uses all kinds of terms that really can only be understood if you look at it histor- historically in, in the way that I just explained the difference between that storage spaces now so was so expensive back then. The first thing the Stored Communications Act does is it distinguishes between something called a remote communication service and an electronic communication service. And based on whether your service provides RCS or ECS, it provides different levels of protection, and that, <laughs> and a service, and a service can provide an ISP can be both an RCS, meaning it's actually the main purpose is it's storing communications, or it can be an ECS, meaning it's just in the email um, business. And back then, the companies basically did one or the, or the other; they either stored data or they trans they transmitted electronic communications. But today, as you would think. Microsoft, the other big Google, the other big providers, the ISPs do both. They provide email, they provide emails, but they also store store the emails. So they're actually actually doing doing both. So the act really doesn't again doesn't apply to today's world. It's very difficult to really kind of explain this without going into some of, some of these unfortunately ar- arcane arcane terms. And then the next thing that the act does is it distinguishes between the length of time that an email has been stored and whether an e- whether a particular email um, has been opened by the recipient or not and it divides it basically divides the world between emails that have been stored for more than 180 days or less than 180 days and emails that have been opened or not opened by the recipient. <laughs> and, email, and as you can see, you just get into all these complicated scenarios. And based on these factors, um, which courts have not agreed upon as to the meaning of, of, of these terms, it <laughs> then sets up a process by which the government can obtain um, the emails and the highest level of protection is accorded is given to emails that have not been opened by the recipient meaning unread emails that have been in storage for less than 180 days by the ISP and the only way that the government can obtain those emails is through a search warrant based upon a showing of probable cause. Right. So you're saying that that emails that have been opened um, are ones that 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 are still sitting on the ISP um, don't need a search warrant. Yeah. Again, we have to think about that <laughs> is, is based on what the his, historical technology was back in 1986, and I keep referring that yeah. to that because it's a good way to understand a little bit of what the gov- of what the Congress's rationale was of making these distinctions. Because if you don't understand that and don't think in in, in that in that fashion, then all this just sounds completely ar- arbitrary and becomes gobbledly gook, which it <laughs> kind of is anyway. Right, right. But at least to understand some of it. Um, you have to think of it historically. So emails, that the thinking of Congress was that emails have been opened, that 
those emails are, because of the cost of storage, are unlikely to be either be kept by the recipient or they were certainly not kept on the ISP because it was just oh, too expensive, oh. again, for the, <clears throat> for the, for the storage um, to keep you know, all the electronic communications. So those emails that have been opened, have been read by the recipient, can be obtained by the government simply through the use of a, of a subpoena. Mm. So they are given really the lowest level of of, of protection, a subpoena with with notice. So even if you know a recipient who, who who reads the email leaves it on their Google account, as most emails now are stored by Google basically forever, um, they're always there, and the government can simply a grand jury, a federal grand jury can simply issue a subpoena and obtain obtain the the contents of of the email because it again the another distinction that the stored communications act makes is between um contents of the communications and things like the address the headers th- things like that that even gives lesser protection too mm-hmm. and one very interesting thing that I want to bring up here so I, I don't forget is that Internet searches, Google searches, for example, are not even covered at all by at least one plausible reading of of the Stored Communications Act, because there was no such thing as the Internet. There were no Google searches back then. So just think about that, that if you, if you type in a search for, you know, a drug counselor, for alcohol, um, alcohol treatment, for anything else, for any, any kind of really personal um, soliciting personal help, that information, which is clearly stored by the ISPs, conceivably can be obtained by the government is not protected at at, at all. Mm. So I'm still wondering about NSA in terms of what they've collected and and what we have what has been revealed that's been collected. Mm-hmm. So is there um, is there a violation by by the NSA um, of the Stored Communications Act at this point from from what we know? Well, I mean that's 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 a that's a difficult question to answer because I don't think we really know um, exactly what the NSA has collected, n- nor do do we know the means by which they have right. collect, collected the Im- information. Um, first of all, with regard to the Stored Communications Act, it's unlikely to have been a violation of the Stored Communications Act because again, the act only protects information that is an electronic storage and if we can assume that the NSA was connect, was collecting real time uh, uh, uh-huh. real real time information the transmission of, of the emails i don't know if that if that's yeah, true I don't know but if, if if that's true and that's the way they were collecting it it could be a violation of of the of the wiretap act right um, uh-huh. but it would not be a violation of of the stored of the stored communications act right so, so what exactly is happening? Is there any right now? You you being in Washington, is there any real investigation into what really you know the allegations by uh, by Ed Snowden? When I when I was in D.C. recently, I um, I heard the journalist um, 
Glenn, who 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 broke the story in the Guardian, mm-hmm. uh, speak. He was speaking at our conference, and then I I watched the Edward Snowden documentary that won an Academy Award. It was amazing to me. It was just amazing. Yes, yeah, I, I was going to say that's a one, wonderful. It's an incredible film. It is. It's an incredible film, and you know, no matter what you think of him, it's just it's very compelling, and you still wonder, you know, what exactly. Uh, was taken, and you wonder also what is being done now to investigate these allegations. What's happening in in D.C. with regard to that? Is there anything really meaningful going on? No, I I, I really don't (laughs) think that that there's anything meaningful going on with regard to investigate the Snowden allegations. Um, I think many, my impression is that many people in, in Congress consider uh, Ed Snow- Edward Snowden to be somewhat of a traitor. Uh-huh. Um, uh, certainly, President Obama has made statements that he's done a great a great deal of, of damage right. to the intelligence uh, gathering capabilities of, of the of the United States. And I think that that on one level that that that's probably probably true that he he by disclosing um, what the intelligence gathering capabilities are, he probably did damage the 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 intelligence of what the United States can do. But I think at the same time, what he did and the service that he did um, and provided what the, what the government is, is capable of, of, of doing um, and really the, in the intrusion of pri- privacy, I think that he provided um, a, a, great, a great service. And from that, that point, um, he, he was really a true whistleblower. So I think it, it's a very difficult situation because I think there are very strong arguments that can be made on, on both sides of the, of the debate. And I don't think that Congress, certainly the Congress we have in, in right now that is so divided on, on just about everything, um, wants to take up such a explosive issue. Yeah. whether No matter what you think of him, I think that the other issue is what was done. I mean, what he did... You have your own, you know, choice to think about what that was, but the but the reality is what was done by the NSA. I think that needs to have some transparency to see if it was constitutional, if it was a violation of of any of our laws. Uh, I just think that that would I, be I, an- I I I agree at, at at this at this point, and to find out really what what exactly what was done, because I think you know we've learned. Somewhat, maybe the tip of the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. But we really don't know exactly um, the details of, of what the of what the NSA was was actu- actually doing. Right. And one of the things that I thought was uh, very interesting in that in that uh, documentary was that Edward Snowden did hold back and continues to hold back certain things that he thought would be. Uh, dangerous for for the United States. So that was that was made clear in the movie, and as was made clear by the um, Greg uh, Glenn. I forgot his name. That's Glenn Green, Greenwald. Yes, Greenwald. Yes, he was the one who spoke. He was incredible. Anyway, so he um, you know he made that very clear as well in his uh, keynote. So interesting, interesting. So so let's talk. Have um, have the courts agreed? Uh, with the understanding that opened emails are not subject to protection by um, the Stored Communications Act, have, have courts agreed with that? No, I mean court, courts have, have basically most courts, except for the Ninth Circuit, have agreed that opened emails are are not um, 
are not subject to enhanced protections or can be obtained through lesser processes other other than a, a, a search warrant. So courts, except as I said, for the Ninth Circuit, um, are are in are in agreement with with with, with that. So, um, and to that extent, they are. But again, I think that most people would agree that the government should should be required to. Um, engage in a greater process than, than simply uh, issuing a subpoena that is can be very easily done that to obtain the contents of an email um, that may contain a great deal of, of pri- private information. Right. So let's talk about what should happen. We, we see there's a lot of problems with the Stored Communications Act. What are some of the, the fixes here that will not be subject to, you know, that are more... Um, Extensive. So, in other words, as our our uh, electronic communications proliferate, and we we can do it by maybe our our our, t- our watch <laughs> or whatever it is, or our car. You know, talk. Um, what can we do to make the Stored Communications Act or the basically the uh, Electronic Communications Privacy Act? What should we do? It's not just stored communications. We need to cover everything, right? Yeah, that's correct. And just one, you know, real quick thing on an example of, of what real-time communications, um, you know, the, the need for protection in, 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 the, in this area, that the Wall Street Journal has basically recently exposed um, the collection and the use of Cessna aircraft by the Marshal Service to basically mimic cell towers. And what the Marshal Service does is they collect all cell phones that are operational within um, this particular cell tower because they're looking to see if there is an individual who may be using his cell, ta- his cell phone in that particular area to be able to, to find him. And this was technology apparently that was developed by the CIA against terrorists, but it's now being used by the Marshal Service. And it's for in basically intercepting real-time communications. And the Justice Department has not been forthcoming as to what kind of process they're using to do this this type of act, uh, activity. So certainly any type of amendment to the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, uh, the Wiretap Act, Store Communications Act has to account for this type of, of activity because as the technology has changed and it's made it much easier for the government to engage in snooping, engage in the collection of information, and they're really no longer uh, price constraints, cost constraints on what the government can do, that the act has to be amended to, to fill in these type of situations um, that, that, te- that technology um, allows the, gov- the government to do. So are there any present bills on the table that are addressing some of the issues that you're talking about? They're they're really really not. I mean, there have been a number of bills that have been in, introduced um, over the past several years to to amend the Electronic Communications Privacy Act. There's some noise being made that there may be some introduced this session of Congress, um, but it, it just doesn't seem to to go go any, go anywhere. Um, so it, it seems unlikely that there will be any quick action take, taken, taken in this year. I mean, maybe the Congress is waiting for another 28 years to act. Who knows? Oh, my goodness. So meanwhile, privacy goes down the drain. 
Yeah, that's it's an, an unfor- unfortunate that that you know that that it does, and you know that brings this one. When I was doing some of work on my some of my articles, I came across um, I think a very appropriate quote uh, by something that James Madison said, and he talked a little bit about. And as you may recall, he was one of the principal authors of of the Bill of Rights, and right. he's reported to have said that that. There are more instances of abridgment of freedom by the people by gradual and silent encroaches by those in power than by violent and sudden usurpations. And I think that that statement um, he made now 225 years ago or so um, is probably truer now than, than it's ever been. It's all these gradual encroachments on privacy by not only the government, but by large companies in, in selling data and things like that that, are, that isn't protected that really poses a great deal of risk to, to privacy. And the longer it goes, uh, you know, it's just these small encroachments that it's very difficult to, to go back um, and regain the ground that has been been lost over the last dozen years or so. Right, Pandora's box has uh, been opened and it's hard to put everything back so well we are just out of time peter you are just wonderful i mean it's it's not really anything optimistic but i think it's things that people must listen to and we're going to have to really ask for uh some legislation to be passed i don't know if that's ever going to happen but peter torrent thank you just give your website and it's time to go Sure, it's com, and thank you very much for having me on again. I enjoyed it. Okay, and we'll keep in touch, okay, Peter? Take care. All right, take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening, Bye. yeah, you've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy and let us know about how you feel about the government knowing all of your emails, texts, and voicemail. Bye-bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.